0: Good afternoon, good evening, whenever or wherever in the world you're tuning in from. My name is David Nash and together we're celebrating 10 years of UNFD, a cornerstone of Australia's heavy music scene. We're doing that by diving deep into the stories behind just some of the records that made the label what it is today. In case you haven't already heard, over the next few months, the legends at UNFD are re-releasing a series of classic records from their back catalogue on limited edition collector's vinyl. So far, we've gotten our hands on some absolute bangers from In Heart's Wake and Hellions. And for round three, we're going all the way back to day one, to the very first album that ever bought the UNFD logo, Heartbound. By Dream on Dreamer. It was 2009 when the Melbourne native Maniacs first broke out onto the scene, making sure every kid south of Sydney with a penchant for post hardcore knew who they were. Their debut EP, Set Sail Armada, came out that July. And for such young lions on the prowl, it's almost surprising how good it was. But it was after recording their Hope EP that they caught the attention of Boomtown Records. If that name sounds familiar, but you can't quite put your finger on why. That's because Boomtown was the precursor to UNFD. Hope was, in fact, the last new record released on Boomtown Records, while Heartbound was the first on UNFD. Hope was one of the strongest debut EPs the folks at Boomtown had ever heard, and what followed was a label and management deal right away. Needless to say, it was a pretty big deal for a wide-eyed group of ragamuffins like Dream on Dreamer. In 2010, Boomtown released the band's second EP, Hope, and scored them a sweet little gig, opening for two of the biggest heavy bands in the world back then, Pierce the Veil and Attack Attack. They were playing venues like the Factory Theatre in Sydney, the Corner in Melbourne, and the Hi-Fi in Brisbane, playing to roughly a thousand hardcore-loving Hellraisers every night. Then came tours with the Amity Affliction and D's Nuts and a full-on trek across the country with Amua. Soon enough, Dream on Dreamer were the band to watch. They were a force to be reckoned with and their live set was definitive proof of it. If you like to bang your head, throw your fists up high or get messy in a mosh pit, you couldn't do much better than a Dream on Dreamer show. A big part of what made the band work was how dedicated its members were to making their dreams come true. No pun intended. For starters, Marcel Gadax, the band's lead vocalist, was born and raised in a small town near Berlin in Germany. English wasn't even his first language, but if there's one thing that transcends the barriers of language, it's music. Marcel discovered Australian hardcore at age 16 and fell so far in love with it. That as soon as he finished high school, he hopped on a plane and dug his heels into Melbourne soil with the ambition of stirring up his own musical chaos. Marcel wasn't the only worldly figure in Dream on Dreamer, though. Aaron Fioka, who tore it up for them behind the drum kit back then, cut his teeth on the American hardcore circuit. Growing up in the Californian city of Riverside before making the journey down under to hit the big leagues and our virgining metal scene... Aaron's background as an American proved to be rather valuable for Dream on Dreamer because when they decided it was time to join the ranks of all the bands they looked up to and finally put a full-length album out, they had that classic go big or go home mentality. That meant making an album with a producer whose resume was stacked with A-list metalcore bands, bands like I See Stars, Memphis May Fire, Sleeping With Sirens. His name was Cameron Mizell. And his game was big. Melodic choruses, massive breakdowns, and hooks that fans couldn't get enough of. To work with Cameron, they had to make their way over to a place most famous for spring break, Gator Infestations, and some of the world's most ridiculous news headlines of all time. Talking about Florida, baby. The band spent a few weeks in the state and many have lovingly referred to as America's Dick, sowing the seeds for their mainstream breakthrough at Chango Studios. But as wild as it may have been to call Florida their temporary home, the band meant business. Heartbound was poised to be a much more matured release for Dream on Dreamer, a lot angrier and heavier than their first two EPs with lyrics that cut deep into the soul. And obviously it paid off. The final product was something that over the past 10 years has truly stood the test of time. Heartbound is rough and aggressive, but it's also incredibly dynamic and deep. The hints of electronica might have thrown a few listeners through a loop at first, but it was tasteful. The blokes knew what they were doing and they took full advantage of it. The lead single, Downfall, was an immediate hit with fans all over the world. Right before the album came out, Dream On Dreamer made their European touring debut with 23 shows supporting Memphis Mayfire. And back home, they launched the record with a massive 10 date Headline tour across the East Coast. The supports for the Heartbound tour were Hands Like Houses, The Bride, while Northlane supported them on the New South Wales leg of the tour. When Heartbound came out on August 21st, 2011, the blokes had officially established themselves as one of Australia's most important heavy bands. They cracked the top 40 on the ARIA charts and scored themselves a nomination for that year's best rock and metal album at the ARIA Awards. Even the harshest critics out there were all about Heartbound. For example, Rock Sound proudly declared that, quote, not too many bands have the balls to write music with the kind of ambition and eye on progression that Dream on Dreamer manage on this storming debut. It was all up from there too. Within the first eight months of Heartbound's release, Dream on Dreamer were direct support to Avenged Sevenfold in Australia, to North America with Attack, Attack and Sleeping with Sirens, to a japan with we came as romans and managed to perform on soundwave and pyramid rock festivals and 10 years later heartbound has truly aged like a fine wine i could go on for hours about how bloody great this record is but instead let's catch up with some of the band members themselves to chat about how dream on dreamer made their spicy splash into the world of metalcore mayhem with heartbound time to talk to the people who made Heartbound. Would you please introduce yourselves? Uh,
1: My name is Marcel and I sing and back then screamed
2: more so for Dream on Dreamer. And I'm Kel, and I play guitar.
0: We're going to start with you Marcel because you weren't born in Australia were you? That's correct. Yeah I was
1: uh, born in Germany actually and I moved over here when I was 19 and then I met this guy over there and then cal and i sort of started dream on dreamer
0: how soon after you moved to australia did you start the band um
1: i think it was like in my second year in like i was playing in another band before that i luckily sort of picked up um when i was here in my first year because i had like a work and travel visa you know how europeans usually do that that is coming for 12 months and then they kind of um work on farms and then they sort of have an experience for a year but i didn't really do that actually i just stayed in Melbourne <laughs> because I came, you know, for a different, like with a different sort of reason. And I always wanted to sort of start music and maybe find people to do a band with. And yeah, so then um, I think we started, like Cal was in a, in another band as well at the same time when I met Cal called Francis Dollarhide.
0: So before you went to make Heartbound, had there been only that one EP prior to that, that EP called Hope?
2: Yeah. Oh, actually, no. Before that, we had like a three-track kind of demo that we recorded in Melbourne. Um, But if anyone's listening, just don't do your homework on that because it's not very good.
0: (laughs) It's time to make Heartbound. As you mentioned, you weren't too proud of your previous work. You decided to make Heartbound in the States. Why is that?
1: I think um, back in the day or back then, I think none of us had actually been to America except our Drama back in the day who was from america <laughs> so uh, well, born and raised i guess in america and for us um i think for the time being we listened to a lot of sort of bands that were uh on you know coming out of america and out of that studio in particular i guess
0: which studio was that
1: we went to chango studios with cameron Mizell, um which You probably know a lot more bands that have recorded there previously before us. Do you remember, Cal? Like, who was sort of like, why do you think we actually chose to go there?
2: Um, Well, firstly, I'd like to just shortly backtrack. Um, So we actually really liked the EP that we did. It was the three track before that that I was referring to. Um, The EP is astounding. Um, It was a great production, but it was very expensive. Like, I think we spent like way too much time on it. Um, And then basically one day um, I looked at, chango's resume he had worked with like sleeping with sirens and well was me which were like kind of successful bands at the time and basically i just jumped on skype with him and he gave us a price and i asked him to repeat himself because the price was too good the same amount but it was for an album instead of an ep um so yeah basically me being an 18 or 19 year old kid i was like uh we guess go to america so um we're doing it (laughs) and i think that was the most like um, enticing part of it was just being able to go overseas and do a record together as best friends.
0: Do you think that voyage brought out the best in the band?
2: I'd say so. It definitely like motivated us to write like a sick record. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, we we, we spent a lot
2: of time like pre 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 doing pre production and demoing and yeah, mm. just making it rad.
1: Yeah, I remember that, like, I just really remembered that hitting you know, getting to that stage where. You know, we were booking that in and now it's like, you know, I just remembered how, you know, like like I said, we hadn't really been to America before, most of us, and it was just such a surreal thing because I don't think many people or many bands from Australia had done that either when we did that. You know, like I, I don't really know at this stage, but like, it was just such a thing. It was so like, exciting because, you know, it was so new and we just, you know, that was probably like the first time we really treated it as a job like as a real sort of like not as a job like in a negative way but in like a really like you know we only have a certain amount of time for this i think it was like six weeks or something and um we just want to do the best record that we can you know for you know we were all pretty young and it was just
0: beautiful did that ep hope also feature the keyboards and the synth and the unusual time signatures we hear on heartbound
2: um i'd say it was still there like um Yeah, I think a lot of Australian bands around that time took a lot of influence from Misery Signals, who were just like known for just being way over mathematical. Um, So we definitely had like that influence going on. And yeah, a lot of like weird time signatures and just things to make our producers' job really hard.
0: Yeah. For those that don't play music, like myself, can you explain what you mean by mathematical and time signatures?
2: I guess just basically like the way you count music um, generally is 4-4, four, four, so there's four beats a bar. Um, that's like pop music. But, yeah, we were doing things like six eight, seven eight, 8 um, and then that's just kind of like, I don't know, it just complicates things because you have to like change like the way everything's gridded and, yeah, it just makes composing a bit more challenging to make everything kind of flow into each other. But, yeah.
0: How do Rise
2: Records come into this story? that was that was another incentive to why we went to this producer because we saw that a lot of the records that he did was like um you know they would end up on rise records so we kind of went in there with the expectation that it was going to happen and that's so arrogant to say but that's the truth
1: yeah and i remember like just being there and just i think we had a chat to cameron at the time to cameron mazell and we just sort of mentioned it and if he would be willing to maybe present it to rice records you know because i don't think any australian band had been on australia uh, on rice records before and we had this thing where we were actually uh, signed with in australia with boomtown or now unified you know so it was like i think we were the band that introduced that whole partnership among Rise records and unified you know i think it was like one of those things where i think we you know, we mentioned it and it was like weird because usually you're either signed to one or the other. But um uh we sort of made made that bridge happen, I think, you know, where after after we did that, I think like there's been every band that was on Unified just automatically signed with Rice. And I remember us introducing each other in emails, like introducing, you know, each front to each other. So, you know, they sort of made that happen. Yeah.
0: Do you remember what the people at Rise Records thought of Heartbound when they first heard it? I do remember
1: it was exciting for them because I think there's, like, a lot of Americans love Australia, you know, and they love Australians and they love the fact that we went over there and they had, you know, that, that in itself I think it was, like, a, a cool, you know, it was just easy to market, you know. I mean, it's like this Aussie band with a foreign singer, I guess, or whatever, or, like, they're just a mixed bag and they're just from – you know the other side of the world, and they didn't have that on their roster at the time, and it was just like, why not? You know, it's like it
0: sort of fitted. Let's talk about the art that accompanied the album. We'll start with the album cover. It's got a gothic Harry Potter type of design with the effervescent heart right in the middle, bright red, blood red, I guess you call it. Do you remember how this was designed? I feel um, like
2: that was um pretty like luke who had a bit of a hand in that one right like he kind of chose the artist for us or he, it just came out really right you know
0: and then it's time to make a music video yeah we
1: met this guy that we actually ended up being friends with for many years afterwards called sam link who uh you know he we worked with him a lot of times and he also did a lot of film clips at the time for american bands and he was based in america and that, but how do we even meet him there do you remember that cal because um, I remember going to his house and then we just sort of linked up and we actually filmed in his
2: house. <laughs> like, Wait, What did you film in his house? Downfall. Yeah, I think he like, was just friends with, um again, with our producer. Um, He'd worked mm-hmm. with a lot of bands that had come through there and, you yeah, know, like Sleeping With Sirens and whatnot. And, yeah, he was just such a legend, dude. Like, the funniest mm-hmm. guy you'll ever meet.
0: That particular song, Downfall, I'm told it really touched another member of the heavy music scene and... This is prior to when his band started experimenting with some of the elements you were already using in your music. I'm talking about Oli Sykes from Bring Me The Horizon. Can you tell us the story about him reaching out to you? One day
1: I just received a Facebook message, I think. Yeah, and um obviously I didn't I was quite familiar with Bring Me The Horizon because I grew up listening to that band <laughs> like when they were still making death metal, you know um so i remember checking my inbox and it was a message and then he sort of introduced himself and he said something along those lines of um just introduced himself who he was and that he also runs a clothing label called drop dead clothing and you know sort of like just basically saying whatever you guys want just let me know all. but you know yeah that was that was like the introduction and um then i got that actually checked with our manager with louis logerman at the time and to even see if that was even ver- verified because like, you know, <laughs> I just didn't think that was real at the time. Yeah. Like, because there would be so many fake profiles of Ollie, you know, like it would have just yeah. been that that's the MySpace era when it started or whatever. Or when Facebook sort of took over, but yeah, anyway, it turned out, turned out to be real because we did receive a whole bunch of drop dead gear. <laughs> and that was like, well, someone else wouldn't do that anyway. And then we emailed each other a lot of times. I remember that. And then I feel like I, th- I remember him blogging about the, that song in particular
0: on his blog. And this is all pre sempiternal era for Bring Me The Horizon, so in some way... No way. Yeah, I was going to say, David, <laughs> it
2: sounds like you're hinting at the fact that we might have inspired um, one of the greatest modern rock bands of our time, but just... <laughs> I, I'll never goddamn say that.
0: I'm just trying to make you say it. All right, we'll move on. The album comes out. How was it received? It was crazy. (laughs) Okay, I
2: was not. I was not a very social person at that time, so I wasn't really getting out outside of my house and um, (laughs) seeing what was happening. Yeah,
1: um, how it was received. Well, I think it was just uh, like. Firstly, it was just like it just felt right at the time. Even even you know after it was completed, everybody sort of sat on it, and I think it was uh, an album that we needed to get out of our system and I think it was really something that we were, we were still proud of, you know, and that um, that was that, that's probably the album that enabled us to be, a, you know, an international touring band because it just put us on the map, I think, you know, I, I don't know.
0: That leads straight into this next question about the subsequent tours with some heavyweights. Can you, what are some of your memories of those tours?
1: Yeah, I think we did a lot of, um, you know, crazy tours for back in the day for how small we actually were. Like, we we were just starting out. We just had this one album that sort of gained a little bit of momentum. But we were able to do, I remember, like, touring. We were so shit. Like, we were actually so bad still at that time. Like, <laughs> yeah, dude. like, live. Like, we, we. oh, man, I don't know. We didn't it's even embarrassing know to, to think about. Yeah, and we got to, you know, be main support for an Avenged Sevenfold Arena tour. And it was just like, and again, that came about probably a a week before the tour. Like, it was like, we got a call. Do you want to jump on this Avenged Sevenfold tour? Uh, It starts kind of like next week or whatever. It was like really random because another band had, I think, pulled out, like another American band. And it was just weird. Like, we weren't ready for this kind of stuff. We just got thrown in there and I think... um, yeah, that you know, like it was just, we were just, actually we've learned by making so many mistakes and I think that's how we kind of just became us.
0: <laughs> I don't know. So you are conceding that as a band, you weren't ready for a stadium gig support with A7X or anything of that magnitude.
2: Perfect example where um we just got, like we'd been touring for like six weeks. We'd been to around America and Japan and everything. We are pretty oiled up. And then we got to Australia and we jumped straight into Soundwave. Mm. And our first show in Brisbane, do you remember this, Marcel? Um there yes. was a particular song where oh we God, were just yeah. playing different songs to each other. And I I won't I won't point any fingers and I won't <laughs> I'll definitely not um put anyone's name in the mud, but it was Aaron's fault. And um it was really <laughs> embarrassing. But yeah, we basically all played different songs at the same time. Um that's a
0: you know, they call that a mashup. Let's, call it, of let's that call it that
2: particular
1: uh, scenario was actually that we inst like we instantly played, even though that song wasn't on in our set list. We ended up all playing the same song. You remember that? Like it yeah. was like a yeah, song yeah, yeah. that wasn't meant to be there, but we played it and we just played it, and we it recovered. Was the Most randomest thing, and it worked out. And then at the end of the song, we're just like, "What just happened?" But because <laughs> we were so excited to be playing in front of like almost twenty thousand, whoa, how many people would that be? Like ten or twenty thousand people. Like,
2: it's Soundwave of Brisbane, I don't know. Like, it was, I don't know. We yeah, were just... it, it was a lot of people. It was more people than we'd ever played to before, probably.
0: And they got to hear three songs in one. We'll go one by one, starting with you, Marcel. Tell us your favourite thing about the album. Could be a song, a lyric, or a vocal part. And then talk about what Heartbound means to you.
1: Yeah, that's a big one. I think I've always been really heavily influenced by melodic hardcore growing up and I was never really riding that whole synthcore metalcore wave and I feel like um with this album I don't really have a particular song to be honest maybe maybe I can just say come home to love I even have that even tattooed on my knuckles you know back in the day back in the day because it was just like such an you know it Firstly, fit on my knuckles, but it, it's, you know, on <laughs> the other part, it was really something that was meaningful, right? Um, and I feel like the whole album, like even coming down to the title, like Heartbound, it was just something that I felt like from a, you know, having that hardcore background, like, you know, having a positive message, a positive, uh, lifestyle message, or like a true met- message, you know, like that's how I grew up. That's how I got into hardcore. And like the thing is, um, a lot of bands in that metalcore genre now and then they're just trying to they've always just tried to be another band they tried to copy someone else they tried to imitate a different like a a certain sound and they all just sound the same you know and we we've always and that's why I'm incredibly proud of that record because it was I guess it was a modern version of a hardcore inspired album you know because lyrically it was you know it was just something that was literally from the heart, like back in the day, you know, it was how I um perceived my current life at the time, you know, like, it was exactly what I was going through. It was very easy to write, although it was in a, in a completely foreign language to me. And I actually believe it was half written in German and then translated into English or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. it was like really like I remember I struggled with English but I felt like that was such a challenge you know that's why that album was such a milestone because for me that was the first time where I could actually articulate my feelings in a foreign language and that was also a thing where I feel like that is because you know when you read some of those words it's like it's almost you know, we 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 were talking about topics that are like relevant today, such as like you know, is there other worlds out there, or is there other beings out there, or something like that. Like no one touched that topic back in the day, you know. And it was just like that. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that, we always que- like you know, there's a particular thing. It's like question everything, and it's just like it just fits it so perfectly, even ten years on, you know you got to really, really question everything. And that was like, you know, we were, I don't know, 1920, but it's like that was always something that I wanted to get across. I wanted people to become positive. I wanted them to be be, be honest, you know. I wanted them to um, stay true to their feelings and just make mistakes and learn from them or something like that. You know, I never wanted, you know, and it's just like that was it. That was basically it. I don't really know how else to say it. It was a, a full, honest record.
2: Callan? Our uh, favorite song would probably have to be To um, The Loss for the simple fact that we did it mm. with Matt Wright from The Getaway Plan. Um, yeah. Uh, do I need to explain? They were like such a huge influence on like almost every band. Um, yeah, I was actually friends with the guitarist Clint, but it, I was still very starstruck by that, that um, interaction, I guess. And yeah, I don't know. Marcel just showed off with his answer, so I can't really top that.
0: I think Marcel captured it perfectly, so I don't think there's really anything else you can add. Thank you. Gentlemen, thank you for going back more than 10 years to reminisce and talk about this album. The album, of course, is Dream On Dreamer's heartbound album. My guests today are Marcel, the singer, and Callan, the guitarist. Thank you for being on UNFT, the official podcast.
2: Yeah, and yeah. shout out to Ollie Sachs, And um, if he wants to send royalties my way for the um, inspiration that <laughs> I gave him, then tell him to feel free. Love you, mate.
0: Thanks for joining me here on UNFT, the official podcast. And to everyone out there listening, thank you for tuning in. As usual, this episode was written by Matt Doria and produced by Abby Lukey. I'm going to hop away from the mic, but stay tuned for our next episode in a few weeks' time alongside the fourth installment in UNFD's 10th anniversary vinyl series. If you reckon you can guess what's coming up next, feel free to hit us up on the socials. We certainly welcome all of your wild conspiracy theories just in case you need it. Here's a little hint. The next album in this series has so many catchy songs on it, you've really got to hand it to them. This band tore the house down. For now, of course... You can cop this lovable new pressing of Heartbound by Dream on Dreamer from 2400 or unfdstore.com, as well as some downright beautiful Dream on Dreamer merchandise. Take care, stay safe, and mosh on.